Hey team, it's Ando here. 2022 is a big year for Australian rugby, and we at Pick and Drive Rugby want to be in the thick of it, but we need your support. We want to attend post-match press conferences to ask your questions. We need more interviews with players and coaches to give you the insights that you want into the game they play in heaven. And we want better recording equipment to create a superior listening experience for you. If you like what we do, and let's be honest, even if you don't, please consider getting involved and sending us a tip. All donations will be put straight back into the podcast. We do this for love, not money, but every little bit counts. So please go to ko-fi.com slash pick and drive rugby. You can give us $1, you can give us 5 whatever is within your budget, we would be incredibly appreciative for. Thank you for your support. Let's get back to the pod. Wade Cooper, for the win, it's on its way, it's on its way, it's gone, Wade Cooper is the man. Hi there and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast, where diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We're real, family friendly and positive. Get involved. Get involved. All right, we're sitting here after a Wallabies victory. It has It's always easier to record after a victory. <laughs> um, something a bit more positive to talk about after that England series loss. But Ando, um, how are you? Welcome this evening. Mate, I'm absolutely brilliant. It's good to be here. And look, it's you, you know when your weekend just falls into place because the Wallabies have won? I was so loud and proud wearing my Wallabies shirt out to the park to get my coffee on a Sunday morning. My son had two um, birthday parties out of different things. So I was I was wearing a Wallabies jersey to the, the birthday parties going. going, hey, guys, you watched the game last night? And not many of them, or this morning, and many of them were like, uh, no, what game? And I was like, yeah, the Wallabies won. And so I was, yeah, I was hyped, mate. It was great fun. <laughs> That's that is brilliant. Yeah, the five o'clock um, kickoff time for me was a bit difficult, but I did get up to watch it live and then went to work afterwards and was regretting it by uh, three or four o'clock that afternoon. But it's always great to have a victory and it makes things a lot easier. Um, we do have a Super Brew comp up again, up and running again this year. So if you are interested in joining us for the Rugby Champs, you've only missed the first week. And if you are in, in Super Brew and some other comp, do join ours. Uh, but the results, the yellow cap this week goes to the boat race who took out first place. Um, uh, doesn't, I actually don't have a, an, three and a half points actually. So Three and a half points. There we go. Well done to the boat race. In second place, Julia Mather. And then in third place, Dingo. So um, well done to all three of those people and do get your tips in for next week. We wouldn't want to forget like someone else we know that regularly forgets their tips. What are you talking? I got mine in. I'm currently sitting 10th, mate. I said regularly, and... not not this week, but regularly. <laughs> and I'm just incredibly proud that I'm currently sitting 10th and this is probably the best result I'll ever have. So stop the count, ladies and gentlemen, stop the count. <laughs> All right. Well, if you do want to follow us on social media, we are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're probably most vocal on Twitter. Uh, just search for Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast and we should come up. Um, if you are interested in joining our, our Super Brew Tipping Comp as well, I did send that out on our socials last week. So 
scroll right. back a little bit and you should see the link for that. What are we going to do tonight, Ando? Why don't you run us through that and then we can get into things. Well, mate, we have an awesome chat with Ben Alexander of Wallabies and Brumbies fame, who has joined us to talk all things Australian rugby or all things Wallabies. Uh, also to lend us just a little bit of insight into the news around Michael Hooper uh, needing to step back from rugby for a little bit. Uh, ben has been very open and honest about some of the challenges that he has faced um, in his kind of his context after retiring from professional rugby. So he shares some really, really interesting thoughts um, and observations around that uh, before we then move into the locker room. But we will have a brief little chat about the wonderful news that New Zealand rugby have slid down to fifth place in the world ranking, the lowest ever ranking that New Zealand <laughs> has been at. And oh, that seems like the earth is sundering open and magma is just bursting up to the surface and is going to swallow the aisles beneath. So I'm very excited to just heap more pity and scorn upon them as they continue to wallow in their losses. That sounds very good. I'm very much looking forward to that. So let's, um, let's get into it because we do have a great interview with Ben Alexander coming up next. Right, let's go. I'm Ando, with me is Mitch, and with us is Benny Alexander. How are you? Good, guys. Yeah, real good after Sunday morning. I know. It's a great way to start a Sunday, huh? Uh, with with a nice win. So we're just going to jump straight on into things, team. Um, we're very excited to have uh, ex-Wallaby, ex-Brumbies, legend Ben Alexander here with us. But we are all a bit time poor, so we're just going to dive right on in. We're going to focus on the Wallabies. We're going to chat a little bit about some of the news around Michael Hooper. Not a huge amount. Um, before we then think about our team preferred 23 moving forward to next week's match against Argentina, round two of the kind of two-match leg over in South America. So let's kick things off. How did you guys feel at the conclusion of that match? Benny, were you relieved? Were you always confident we were going to get the win? What was your immediate response to the full-time whistle? Yeah, really proud, uh, I think. It was a bit deflating how that England series finished and it could have been really easy for the boys to just sort of, you know, put that game in the too-hard basket. Quady goes off injured. Um, the ref's blowing the pee out of the whistle. Hostile environment. But, yeah, just the character they showed in that sort of last 30 minutes was just awesome. Um, and really, yeah, could, could uh, they could have a really good season now. You know, the, the rugby championship's wide open. I think, you know, South Africa's looking pretty pretty good team to beat but um i still think they can make 2022 a really good year and that's that's a very exciting part isn't it right now as things stand we are top of the rugby championship ladder <laughs> stop the count donald trump you are my idol here stop the count mitch your response at the end of the game um yeah very happy that the team actually managed to sort of come together in that second half and get the win but that first half performance quite rusty and probably not the performance we were expecting going into it. Argentina definitely um, sort of in some ways had the Wallabies number and were leading, you know, 19-10 at, at halftime and were looking quite confident in that in that lead. So the performance they put in the second half was great. To lose Quaid early is worrying for as a Wallabies fan, particularly in terms of what our plan is now for Rugby World Cup next year. 
uh, lots of things to sort of look forward to and, and talk about. But um, overall, just happy that they were able to come away with the, the victory, but also to get that mm-hmm. bonus point right at the end as well. And that was one of the, um, you mentioned, uh, both of you actually mentioned the refereeing performance. Let's just talk at it straight away, get it out of the way. So my um, frustrations within that first half were twofold. Firstly, my internet wasn't potty working and I'd woken up at five to watch the match. <laughs> and so I was having to jump off my phone back onto my laptop and TV. Anyway, it was, it was a whole thing. And that's Telstra the referee's fault very, for sure. <laughs> yeah, Telstra got some pretty angry messages after that. Um, but also... Adamson, Scottish referee, first rugby championship match that he has refereed. He was the one responsible for giving um, Nick Tompkins that knockdown pass in the end of year two against Wales. Um, Sorry, knockdown try, I should say. Anyway, he seemed to be determined, as Rugby Reg put it, to achieve the kind of the royal flush, the perfect sweep of refereeing performances and give a penalty for every possible reason within the rugby law book. Uh, Benny, as somebody who's been out on the field in these high um, tension moments, do you think the Wallabies adjusted effectively to the referee, particularly within the first half? They obviously made an adjustment within the second, but particularly within the first. Oh, you just said it. They they adjusted well in the second half, or because um, I, I want yeah. If you compare penalty counts in first half to second half, I think we probably got our lion's share in the, in the second half. And if you know if you had to pick a a way for the penalties to flow, you'd rather them in the second half than the first half. So. Um, yeah, a little bit frustrating. I think he nitpicked, the ref nitpicked a few, and sometimes you do get one refs blow a lot of penalties early to try and set the tone for the game and you know set standards. But uh, yeah, he probably blew a few too many, if uh, in hindsight. But I think he's a good ref on the up. And end of the day, the refs are human, and I know here in the ACT we're really, really struggling with referee numbers. Um, people just if we give refs a hard time, they just go oh, bugger this. Um, not going to put up this crap anymore. Yeah. I think mm. we just got to be a bit more accepting that refs are human. They're going to make mistakes, but as long as they give it a crack and they be as consistent as they can be, yep. and sometimes put their hand up when they do really stuff it up, I think that's all we can ask for. Um, yep. Yeah. And I think for me personally, looking at the actual his performance, I didn't have too many issues with the penalties he was awarding. I think they were all actually the right calls. I think it just came down to sometimes he was nitpicking a little bit too much. And uh, I, when you look at his perform, uh, his history, he's he's come through the seven circuit. So he's predominantly a sevens referee who's only recently made the transitions into the 15s and is now doing internationals. So um, in some ways, when you go back and look at his performance in that regard, you can see that sevens influence of seeing something at a ruck and blowing it really quickly because they've made that infringement where that's very vital in sevens. Whereas in 15s, you probably can let it go for that one or two extra seconds and see if it has a material effect, which I think particularly early on, he was blowing some ruck infringements, which had he left it for another second or two that the players probably let go or rolled out of the way and, and the game opens up a little bit more. Yeah. If I could just, sorry, just add to that, like, and that's, I think one thing you see with the more experienced refs when they sort of get into their mid forties or in their forties. So you look at like a Wayne Barnes or a Nigel Owens, they don't nitpick. Yeah. They do really only blow, as you said, Mitch, the penalties that influence really influence the game. Uh, you know, they aren't quick to blow a penalty, and that but that's just something that just comes with age, I think, and experience. Mm-hmm. And Adamson could could become a great ref. Uh, yeah. I think we say Angus Gardner's really maturing into a great ref, and it is it is learning to what are the really serious penalties and what are yeah that's technically a penalty, but let's just let the game flow. It's not a huge deal. Um, exactly. I think that's. Yeah. 
It's funny. I think that's a really big call because um, really the the thing that you can say about Anderson was that whilst he was nitpicky, he was fair. Mm. He was fair and even. He didn't prioritise one team over the other and he can't ask for much more. So on that point, let's actually move on and talk about the game itself. Now, the first half was pretty tough for the Aussies. They found it really difficult to adjust to the expectations of the referee. A lot of the... um, a lot of the challenges they faced were self-inflicted as well. I don't think it was a case of the ref making the wrong call. He was They were just not adapting to his requirements. And that being said, how good was that little hold-up by Quade Cooper to put Jordan Pattaya through that gap? Just that patience on the ball that I think at times we might have missed by from Noah Lolasi within the England series to just be patient, controlled, and just wait for the right moment to pass the ball. Uh, Mitch, I thought Quaid, before he went off, had a fairly strong game in attack. It was one of those, uh, I think, what we've come to expect from Quaid Cooper, that he does one thing really, really well, and then another thing maybe not so well. There was a few passes that he pushed that he probably didn't need to offload, that Mm -hmm. one that ended up hitting slips right in the face and and was a knock-on right in front of the ref. And I think in one of his first touches early, sixth or seventh minute, he throws an offload where it doesn't actually go to anyone and ends up sort of spilling over the sideline. Luckily, we did have penalty advantage at that point, so we come back and kick the points. But um, yeah, he was doing things really well. And I think as the game wore on and as that first few minutes were a bit frantic and he was trying to keep that tempo up and keep the ball flowing and moving, which we probably hadn't seen from Noel Alessio previously in this uh, in 2022. Uh, but then... And, and the players needed to adapt around that as well, be a bit more heads up and expect the ball to be made available whenever he went to ground or had the ball. But um, yeah, I, I also did think that when he had the ball and was feeding the backs around him, he made them look a lot better that maybe... And I think that also comes back to the experience as a player that Quaid has where Noah just doesn't have that yet. And we didn't see him feed the backs outside as much as... Um, we didn't see Noah Alessio feed the backs outside him or potentially fed them too much and didn't take the ball to the line as, as well as he could have, um, that Quaid sort of knows when to do that. Benny, they had a 6-2 bench, the Wallabies, going into this match. Losing Quaid early within the second half, obviously stretched things. Bringing Reese Hodge on early is really the only kind of back replacement outside of um, Jake Gordon as scrum half. Do you think going into this game, the 6-2 split was a good call? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we won and we won well. So you have to say, yeah, it was. I mean, yeah, it does leave you a little bit exposed in the back line if, um, yeah, if you lose two backs. But I think that's, you know, Reese Hodges is very similar mold to Adam Ashley Cooper, can pretty much cover anywhere in the back line apart from halfback. Uh, and that and gives you that flex. And then I'm sure he could. Yeah, he probably could. So having a player of that versatility as a coach probably does give you the confidence to take that risk and maybe go forward heavy bench. Um, you couldn't do it without, yeah, players versatile as Reese Hodge. And yep. um, Hodge came on and, and played outstanding and played a really vital role. But just on Quaid, he was outstanding, I thought, till he got injured. And that's really, really tough pill to swallow, especially how well he was going last year. And I was pumped to watch him for that England series and get injured. It's just, um, I still think there's great signs for Quaid. He's just the kind of player, especially if you don't play with him much, I think, a lot of guys you need to play a few games with him because he does throw these offloads yeah. that you might not expect. And so there's always going to take a few games, I think, for really Quaidy to fully hit, hit his straps. He he hadn't played in a while, so, he, yeah, he did push a couple passes early. But I think as he, if he'd gotten two, three, four games in a row, 
I think you find all those passes stick and all the players around him are used to playing with him and they, they're going to catch it. Slips just wasn't ready for that offload. Like, yeah, exactly. It wasn't so much a bad run. Slips just hadn't they hadn't played together for a while yeah. and so maybe Slips wasn't ready for it. But um, I thought Quaidy was outstanding and just hope he, hope he recovers well and um, we see him back bigger and better in 2023. Yeah, he's hoping. He's going to have a big push to try and get ready for the World Cup next year, considering the length of an Achilles injury and the fact he's no longer a spring chicken like he might have been maybe 10 years back, recovering from an injury like this. I would just say one but thing. But he did on... step, he yep. stepped someone right before that slips <laughs> off. Like, like he stepped someone, I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, geez, like that was an unbelievably athletic step. And I, you know, I remember yeah, the quality of 2011, the steps he used to do, and then he did his knee at the end of the World Cup. And you sort of never really seen that again. Like he's never been doing those big steps, but he did do one just, yeah, before that slips offload. And I was thinking, oh, geez, Quaidy's got a bit of, yeah, he's got a bit of athleticism back. So, yeah, fingers crossed, Achilles is their, their awful injuries. But, um, if yeah, I still reckon Quaidy's a good shot to, to be back next year. And that's what I was going to say. The the one thing that about Quade Cooper that is good for Australian rugby fans is that he has shown he doesn't necessarily need to have a long sort of lead up to a tournament to prove himself at the Test Arena. We know what he can bring. And even, you know, he didn't play the English series, but he didn't look out of place. He didn't look rusty in this in these first few minutes. He was still getting involved. Maybe, as we said, the players around him weren't quite ready in expecting what he was bringing to the game. But I, I have faith that should he get fit and be selected for World Cup, he'll be firing and he won't need that lead in time. So his time in the gold jersey hopefully is not over. Going into this match, I was fairly concerned because Argentina had had a strong 2-1 series victory over Scotland, even if the kind of final winning try came in, what, extra time in the final match against Scotland. Um, but I didn't realise that it was actually, we, we've we been very dominant against Argentina recently. The last time that we lost a game was in, I think, 2015 when we played, uh, 2019 when we played them up at Rabina in Queensland. Um, and prior to that, we basically won the last six or seven outside of that game. Um, but this Argentinian team under Michael Checker have become a lot more willing to not just rely upon the quality kickers that they have within their back three, but also to be playing a really impressive amount of ball in hand attacking rugby when the right opportunities come up. And we saw that really incredibly within their try to uh, Juan Martin Gonzalez in the 55th minute in that second half. It was that wide counter attacking play um, off kind of the broken field that they just swept through. Um, shades of a forward pass on mm -hmm. the halfway line and a lead up to it. But if Lenny Iketau's, um try at the end was going to count and that wasn't going to be forward, then Argentina's wasn't either. Exactly. Um, <laughs> exactly. But do you see anything, Benny, different in this Argentina since Michael Checker has taken over? Oh, I haven't watched enough of their games to to really comment. But just on that 55th minute try, oh, I was really worried after that because that was a great try. We'd been playing those those tries that go against uh, momentum are really or against a run of play. They are big, big momentum killers. Especially we'd been playing really well the few minutes before. We had all the momentum. Uh, we had all the ball. We were attacking. And then for them to score that really good try, uh, I was like, oh, are we going to be able to bounce back? But we lifted. We probably went up two gears from that moment, maybe even three. And, um, yeah, no, it was great signs to see us bounce back. Very similar to the first test against England. Mm. Like we just we found an extra gear in that last 20. And, um, no, it's good signs. 
there's a big part of me that wants an Australian team to be able to uh, not have to chase a game and pull themselves and claw themselves back into it. I'm really sick of going into the half with a poor performance and having to <laughs> and having to chase the match. I really want us to just dominate a team from the get-go. Hopefully, there can be a change this week. Um, but, Mitch, any key players within this Wallabies or Pumas team that really stood out for you? I think we've got to we've got to acknowledge the forward pack for the Wallabies in this performance. Like in the second half, when they made that comeback, all of the tries bar that last one to Lenikitao, which was pretty opportunistic, and six minutes into overtime, and everyone was just out on their feet. Was those other tries were all scored through forward set piece? Flaufai and Gaa gets a few tries through the mall. Uh, McWright gets a few tries off a mall. So. Overall, the forward pack really stepped up in that second half and some players individually. Uh, I can name a few, but I, I don't want to take everyone's names. So, uh, so I'll, I'll um, shout out Jed Holloway for his debut. He was, he was huge and I think he's uh, shaping as a, as a six that we probably, a player that we've been needing in Australian rugby for a little while and maybe not necessarily had the opportunity to select. Would have been great to see what he could have brought to that English series. Um, and yeah, played like he, he came on for his debut, didn't look out of place at all, fit right in and was making big hits, big carries and carrying blokes over the try line and doing pretty much everything you'd expect of a six. Yeah, he pretty much dragged Fraser McCright over for his try. I wonder if he gets the assist for that one. Yeah. He'll, be, he'll be claiming it anyway. Did you see his post-match interview? Um, <laughs> he was, the, the emotion and the significance of this opportunity for him was incredibly profound. And there's this wonderful shot going around of um, most of the team are off the field and um, people are like cleaning up the trophy the presentation and stuff, stuff and yeah. the confetti. And he's just out there, socks off, boots off, just sitting on the grass, just soaking in every moment. Um, Benny, any of your reflections on Jed's uh, experience there as, a deb- as his debut? Oh, just great. Good job. He did bloody well. And definitely put his hand up that he belongs at international level. So when we get a few bodies back, there's going to be a yeah, ton of um, depth, ton of competition for those back row spots. I mean, Pete Samu, Harry Wilson, there's a lot, lot of... I always saw Nick Frost to make an outstanding six uh, mm. test level. Yeah. So uh, great signs for Australian rugby. But I just, I mean, apart from the players, I really thought that was the first time you really saw Dan McKellar's fingerprints yeah. all over a performance, especially uh, the more going on and, and the boys taking really good options off it. Um, even though I don't think the more drove all the way over, it did set up for some pretty simple tries uh, off it. And that's obviously been a hallmark of the Brumbies for the last seven or eight years um and just yeah i just just saw a ton of dan mckellar's influence in that performance and i think that his selections also shone through was it six out of the eight forwards were brumbies and just seeing that sort of continuity flow through from super rugby helps a lot as well yeah having nick white at the back of the, the mall and um, whitey obviously knows all the all the players and obviously the captain knowing all the sort of how that all goes down so yeah definitely yeah, I'm just counting through seven, eight. So eight of the possible, yeah, basically you had eight Brumbies in the uh, match day 23 forward pack. Haven't, and haven't I actually thought that, that was Darcy Swain's best test as well. Yes. He really um, led the line out more well, Darcy. Mm-hmm. So he's, I know he's put a ton of work into it for years and just really thought, yeah, he was physical without giving, I don't think he got by any penalties. Um but I thought he led the line out unbelievably well, both in Matt Phillip did a great job in D and, and Das just, yeah, I think the line out was 
do we ever lose one on our ball? I thought every ball we had was either good more ball or it was nice and clean off the top. He did that one dummy off the top that got yeah. us a penalty. Um, yeah, hat off to Darcy Swain. I thought he'd be just, he was just about best on ground. That um, made me think a lot of kind of Mario Toje in the, in the England series where they, I'm sure that it's deliberate, but they, they're they really slow in bringing a uh, lifted player down or the jumper down. And so what that means is the mall defence uh, from the defending team will often engage and get done for going engaging too early oh, yeah. before the player's feet have hit the ground. And just like, they're just freaking holding him up. Of course <laughs> you're going to engage early. If they, so it just, I, I like to see that little bit of gamesmanship and that little bit of just, just smart play which uh, other teams seem to have demonstrated against us. But it's it's great to see Swain doing that too. He is, in so many ways, just an absolute beast for Mauls. His, his ability to just be so dynamic when fighting his way through to try and get to the ball. Um, I'm sure he's not the strongest guy out there. I'm sure there are other people who are bigger and like just physically capable of lifting heavier things. But the way in which he's both dynamic and powerful in just forcing these little weak shoulders or forcing his way in these gaps is absolutely amazing to watch. It'll be really interesting to see um, what happens with the lock pairings next week with Rory Arnold, supposedly a pretty good shout for getting a start. Um, but we'll get to our 23 later. Uh, ben, you've identified Darcy Swain. Anybody else you want to give a shout out to for a strong performance? Oh, Taniella was good off the bench. Um, but yeah, I thought Tom Wright actually had a pretty good game, I thought. Mm. One of his... Right, he's been a bit hit and miss this year, but when he's on, geez, he's on, and I thought I thought he was really good. Uh, but yeah, and Whitey as always, thought Nick White was really good. Yep, Mitch, any final players you want to shout out? Yeah, Flav Fangai, if I hadn't said it already, he again has um, patchy form for the last probably six to eight months this year, and uh, this was probably his best performance in the gold jersey for the last few years. Uh, so he really stood up, and with Dave Parecki getting that concussion, having to come home. A lot of pressure on his shoulders late in the week to to get that starting um, hooker jersey, and then have you know Noss Lodigan also sort of banging on that door to come and take it off him. But he stood up, and I think he, as Benny said before, I think he hit every line out he was throwing and um, contributing across the park as well, making some good runs and and getting some tries as well. That you know it's great to see him going over for that those mall tries, and even if the mall does stop a few meters short, he ends up getting over himself. So. Yeah, great performance from him. We then move into the next match against Argentina, which will be happening this coming weekend. Uh, one of the players that was brought into the starting lineup late, um, I want to give a shout out to Fraser McWright, I think looked at home in the international stage. He was powerful in attack. The The speed at which he's running onto the ball, I think is making up for the fact that he um, his frame might be a little bit smaller than some other international forwards at this point in time, just because of his relative youth comparative to some of the other players. Um, but he really looked at home. A couple of key involvements in breakdown defence, looked strong and tack, defensively sound. Uh, let's move on to now the really big news that came prior to the match. So around about 24 hours beforehand, the news um, was shared by Rugby Australia that Michael Hooper had uh, left the team and decided to move, well, not move, sorry, to go back home, citing mental health reasons that he was struggling, needed a break and needed some support. Um, firstly, first thing I'll say, absolute credit, incredibly, uh, I will say brave to be able to, in a position of such responsibility and with the, with the status that he holds within the Australian rugby landscape to be willing to step forward and say, I'm not okay. And I need, 
I need some time, I need some assistance, I think is an incredible example to be setting to other people. Um, Mitch, when that news came out, what, how, how did you respond? Because it was fairly out of the blue. Yeah, I think initially it was probably a little bit of shock, just the, the timing around it and that knowing Hooper as a player, not personally, like Benny probably does, but as a as a fan and having seen him play so much over the years and the um, the work he's put into Australian rugby, he would not want to give up the opportunity to play for the team and to lead the team. So I think that leads into that point you said, Ando, of just being sort of in awe of that decision that he has put himself first and said, look, I'm I'm not actually in the right place to be leading, to, to be contributing to this team, but also to be leading this team at the moment. And I need to step away and take some time to get better and to, to get ready. So um, very, very surprised by that decision. But um, I guess when you look back over the years, it's not all that surprising that this has probably happened. We saw that he was struggling a little bit uh, with the captaincy of the Waratahs a few years ago, stepped away from that decision, and his game improved at a, a personal level. He looked a little bit more calmer in Super Rugby to be able to play the game and not have to worry about leading the team around so much. Had that sabbatical last year, came back, looked like a completely refreshed player, looked really calm and, and ready to go, has come into this England series, has got gone through a pretty rigorous end of the season last year results not going our way we haven't really won anything significant since that french series last year so i can understand that again he puts 150 percent into everything that he does in australian rugby he's always playing big minutes he's always leading from the front he's always the the first person to be putting in the big hits and to running the ball and getting absolutely smashed and yeah not surprised that this has probably happened and he he needs a little bit of time to to get himself right Yep. And look, uh, part of the reason why we wanted to have a chat with you, Benny, apart from your incredible good looks and great voice, um, was the fact that you have been fairly open in terms of the struggles and challenges that you had in adjusting to life after professional rugby. Um, did this announcement kind of just, just remind you of some of the challenges that you might have experienced when being a professional rugby player? Yeah, like I, I just... I think it's it's great how much support people have shown hoops. Like I don't think I've seen one negative comment about it. The media were great. But at the end of the day, the guy just needs a rest. Like he's played a he is the most resilient footballer of our generation by far. You just look at the amount of games he's played, never gets injured. The guy just needs a rest. And I think it's great that everyone's being so accepting, but I really hope that one day we don't make a big deal out of things like this. The mm. guy just needs a rest. Like He's been such a great servant and we want him to be firing next year. And it's a, it was, I think you already touched and hit the hell on the head, Mitch. It, it was just a surprise. It was a couple of days out for a test and he might've already known, you know, tired. I was a fan was flat after that England series, yeah. let alone be the leader of it, trying to then fire up and get going again, especially after he's done it so many times. Uh, and people forget McCaw took keeper time off after the 2012 World Cup. I was at, there's a YouTube interview and he just said, look, and I, I think that this touches to the point where you were saying before, Mitch, McCaw's announcement came early and, and sort of that prepared the fans that Richie's going to go away, whereas Hoops was sort of, yeah, it was 24 hours before the game, we hit, get yeah. the announcement. So it was uh, the the timing of the announcements, I guess, the only thing that is really of, of news, really. But he'll be back better than ever, got no doubt about that. But um it's not much more to say than he just needed a rest. I and guess when I've one, struggled, 
the, I was going to say the one disappointing thing in some ways is the way potentially that the Wallabies setup has enabled this to happen. Like Michael Hooper has played so many minutes, as we've said, and everyone's been calling for Fraser McWright to get some game time over the last few years. And it now in reflection, it probably looks like a good idea to maybe limit some of Hooper's minutes, particularly in some of the tests like against Argentina, like Fraser McWright this week stood up and showed that he was ready to play. We've also got Pete Samu as well, who's capable of playing seven for the Wallabies. So I know it's it's always hard to say, you know, these guys want to play as many minutes as possible in the gold jumper and represent Australia, but the amount of games that Hooper has played, the amount of minutes, um, we could have shared that those minutes with other players and given him some more time to rest and recover in certain areas. Exactly right. So it comes down to whose decision is it? Is it the player? Like, it's, I don't think it should have to come down to the player to then go, oh, look, I need a break. And Hoops probably didn't want to let the team down. And he definitely didn't want this week to have been about him. Like, exactly. Absolutely. He would have been really bit filthy about all the media attention. And it was great that it got used to inspire the play, the boys and they went and did it for Hoops. But he would have wanted, he would have wanted the focus to be on the team to just go out and prepare. And he would have... Well, I'm guessing I haven't spoken to Hoops for a, few, for a few years. So I would have just guessed that he thought, yeah, he might have been a bit flat. And he goes, oh, I'll go on once I get over there and get into test week. Maybe the energy will come back and the excitement to go out and put my body on the line. But um, maybe it just wasn't there. And But I guess Rennie, you know, they'd always be asking him, like, Hoops, it's up to you. Like, And, it, yeah, it does. It should. Yeah, I think Cricket Australia always, it's been a – there was a huge talking point, especially around the rotation with the bowlers mm. and, and and who's – I think Paddy Howard, when he was the head of performance of Cricket Australia, yeah, he copped a lot of flack for rotating bowlers and players. Like, oh, and the fans were going, no, they, they should just keep playing, keep playing. But, um, yeah, they should – hopefully there's a lot of sports – well, there is a lot of sports science around, you know, managing fatigue using, you know, heart rate variability and um, – taking what players are saying to then yeah, predict when they need to have a break so we don't have these last-minute changes. And, and, yeah, it would have been great for Fraser Wright to have had a whole week to prepare. He only had a few days or a day or two, two yeah. days maybe to prepare. Still played great. Mm. But, yeah, in an ideal world, um, it wouldn't have, yeah, this decision wouldn't shouldn't have come so late because um, it's clear. We've already said, oops, he's played so much footy. The guy should have some more more rest. Uh, and be firing in 2023 because it was a great chance for Slips to lead. So great. Slips has got a, a game as captain under the belt. So let's say Hoops gets does injured or Hoops does get injured in the future. Slips can lead. Fraser McWright's probably grown in stature on the test level after that performance. So I think everyone wins. Uh, everyone won on the weekend uh, as far as I can see. And Hoops got a week off. And it will be interesting soon. to see uh, what Rugby Australia as an organisation learns from this experience. And, and uh, you can... It, it is hard. Professional sport is always about getting results and you want the best players that are available to be playing so that we can get those results and we want to win. But at the same time, like we need to look at the bigger picture. And if we're burning out our players now and we're getting to the this point where our captain and one of our best players for the team is burning out and not able to contribute at, at the level that he needs to, to, to compete, then we're failing him as, a, as an organization. We're failing him as an individual. We're failing fans. So we need to be better in that regard to not get to that point. And when, but when they're burnt out, they're not our best players. That's, that's the other right. thing. So you, 
You look at 2015 World Cup final. I remember going to lunch and after it, like a few years later, with John O'Neill, and he was commenting about Dan Carter and Richie McCaw didn't look like they looked like they didn't look puffed in that 2015 yeah. final. Like NZAU had those guys managed to, they were going to peak at that 2015 final, and those guys had absolute barnstormers. And then they went out, it was their last game, and then they rode off into the sunset. But um, yeah, it looks <laughs> like there's a, a lot of, it. yeah. What a way to do it, exactly. And, yeah, not to say hoops will be done. I, I, I think, you know, we'd love to see him get to that 2025 World Cup. And, I mean, Lions series and maybe yeah. make rights and wrongs from 2013. But, um, yeah, it's got to be managed. That, that These decisions have got to be coming from from not just Dave Rennie, but you know, yeah. the, the high-performance manager. and Because um, Rennie, yeah, he's got to just week in, week out. He's got so many selection decisions to make. There needs to be someone in the background saying look or managing the loads and in, in consultation with you know sharon the doctor and yep um, yeah yep well guys i think we might move on from that chat i mean as as we've all said incredible support coming out for michael hooper um he will be having a rest again this weekend he and dave parecki who was pulled out of the team late due to concussion injury have flown back home and i believe that they are aiming to be available for the first test against south africa at adelaide Oval. well we don't know with hooper um, hooper's just been not given, sure not sure well hooper's just yeah. been given as much time as he needs so yep. rugby australia yep. hasn't announced any expected time back so if he's back for south africa brilliant but really he just needs to get himself right and if it if we don't see him until the the northern hemisphere tour and later in the year or we don't see him again for 2022 then that's probably all right as well yep well let's move ahead to the next match so the wallabies will be coming up against argentina again um next weekend they're going to be playing at san juan in Estadio del bicentenario i just want to say that that was fun um but basically they're going to be playing next week in argentina again and so I wanted to have an opportunity for you guys to put forward some changes to the 23 that you uh, think are going to be happening. So obviously, Quay Cooper will be unavailable. He's going to be the main one. Um, Fraser McWright, you would assume, is going to be starting again at seven, or will he, depending upon your picks? And I guess the big question is, would he continue with the 6-2 split on the bench? So... Uh, Mitch, we might start with you. Knowing that we have limited time with Benny, let's go quick through this. Mm -hmm. Who are you putting in at 10 and are you making any other changes? Uh, yeah, I think this is an opportunity to really see what James O'Connor can bring. And if, we, if we're going to choose James O'Connor, I think we choose Tate McDermott as well. We put that red centre pairing in and see how they go. I would, I, uh, we know Nick White is probably one of the best. He's the best scrum half in Australia, but he's also one of the best players in Australia at the moment. So we know what he brings in week in, week out. Again, about player management and workload, he could use a rest too. So I would put Tate McDermott in to start with James O'Connor at 10 and see if that Reds pairing can bring something a little bit different to what we saw in that England series with Noah and, and Nick White. Okay, so would you be putting Whitey on the bench or out of the 23 just to give him a rest? Uh, yeah, I'd go with the rest option. So I'd put uh, Jake Gordon on as well okay. and we saw this week as well jake gordon was the makeshift captain when slips went off so it's yep. always good to have more waratahs players represented and if they're leading the team <laughs> as well then that's that's even better how good all right benny any changes for next week's 23 for you yeah i just put a flower fan go outstanding i just drop him to the bench and give either billy pollard or a lock and lonegren a start um flowers outstanding definitely think uh yeah, he's made made a made a mark, but I'd just give one of those other guys a crack as well. Uh, so that'd be the only change I'd make to the forward pack. Um, 
And yeah, maybe one experiment in the back line. I would have liked to just go. I was going to say just start now and leave everything else, but I actually agree with Mitch. Yeah, give give Whitey a rest and go um, Rabs with um, Tate McDermott, and because um, we got to win, you know, we do need to win this. We want to come back two and zero because we want to win the rugby championship. So I'd just run one experiment with the forwards, maybe start Taniella, swap Allen, maybe, but I think Taniella oh, was yeah. really really damaging. Uh, looked really good coming off the bench. Got a scrum penalty straight away. Uh, I just love having Taniella come off the bench. I think yeah, Alan Alatoa really really sets a good platform for then Taniella to um, come on and, and, and wreak havoc. And then obviously Rory Arnold, whether he starts or um, on the bench, I don't think it's... Yeah. It was thrown up as a bit of a contentious decision a few weeks ago when we had uh, Michael Atkinson on the pod, but he suggested <laughs> uh, <laughs> Cora Betty at 12. What are your thoughts around that nah, one? Nah, nah. <laughs> Uh, who's this Atkinson fella? He's got rocks in his head. Uh, leave him on the wing. Leave him on the wing. Um, for me, I would be uh, probably bringing in Noah into number 10, leaving Whitey there. I'd probably also take Rob Leota out of the bench um, and bring Noah onto the bench. So have a 5-3 instead of 6-2 split there. Wait, you said Noah um, was starting. Who did you? So oh, did, did I say Noah's starting? Yes. I apologize. Um, and I meant to say Rabs on the bench. Oh, um, Rabs. Gotcha. Sorry. sorry. Thank you. Uh, Rabs so on the where's bench. Scott Seo? Where's Scott Seo? No, shoulder injury. injury. He's got shoulder a shoulder injury, injury oh, so he didn't get to travel. I don't know how bloody James Slipper played as much as he did. Jeez, he's <laughs> doing well. Like that's yep. And that's a, a like he needs a rest at some point this year because we'll need him next year. So... Um, sorry, I thought no. yeah, Matt Gibbon, was Matt Gibbon did it right off the bench. Um, yep. So maybe give him try and give him some more minutes. But um, maybe even do a 40-40 split um, yeah, there with Gibbon. Um, get huge him on for knock the first from half. slip. Yeah, huge knock from slips last week. Yeah, but if you're going to give slips a rest, then um, or at least have him on the off on the bench, you have to keep Whitey on for that leadership. I think um, you can't take two of your most experienced players and put them on the bench out of the twenty-three. Um, so either way, we've just talked about a whole bunch of potential options without actually nailing down exactly who we're going to have in our twenty-three. For me, I think the big call is number ten because of Quay's injury. So you guys were both saying um, you'd swap out nine and ten for Tate and Rabs or James O'Connor. And for me, I would be putting Noah in at number 10 and keeping Nick White there and to keep... What uh, was, what's everyone's thoughts on Vunavalu? Does he crack the 23 this week? Because if he doesn't crack it this week, does he? do we see him in the rugby championship? If there's an injury? Yeah. There's probably I mean, a good chance of that, to rate the injury <laughs> toll. I mean, oh, I cannot believe how many blokes are injured at the moment. It's unbelievable. It, it's it's questionable. Yeah, As you said, Benny, um, it comes down to an injury, but he's had three minutes for the Wallabies and he's been in the setup for, what, 12 months, mm-hmm. if that, and, yeah. and trained in whole tackle bags. Like if we're coming up against South Africa or the All Blacks, we want our 23 to know what they're doing and to be able to deliver at test level and... At the moment, we don't we we have the expectation of what he can bring as a player. We've seen that in the NRL, and we've seen glimpses of that for the Reds. We'd love to see that at the test at test level, um, but I mean, it could backfire on us as well. It could he might not be ready mm-hmm. and not able to deliver either. And I I personally think that if we are going to see him in the rugby champs, it probably needs to be this week against Argentina, um, because I'd hate to trial him against the All Blacks, and that's just where they score tries through him. Yeah. No, I actually agree. Yeah, give Corbetti a rest. He, we know what we're going to get from him. I, I actually agree. Yeah, Vani Valo for Corbetti this week. All right. Some great calls there. 
I think we might finish up this part of the chat and wish Benny a, a wonderful evening. And again, mate, thanks so much for coming on the pod. Thanks for sharing your insights and uh, hope everything is going well down there in Canberra with the doc and with Alfred. Matt, cheers, guys. Have a good one. You too, mate. Go well. We move now into the, oh, look, I'm not going to say it's the best news of the weekend because I want to be a classy human being, somebody who brings people up rather than puts people down. But it's just really hard to do when New Zealand is on what they were considered to be a losing streak. And when they have, as I mentioned before at the top of the show, fallen to fifth in the world rugby rankings after a 26 to 10 loss to South Africa in South Africa. And it, there's a lot to talk about within this game. A few really key moments, including a horror, horror tackle on Bowden. Barrett right at the end of the match, as well as Factor Clerk getting knocked out in the opening minute of the game. But neither of those moments should take away the fact that this is the biggest win by the Springboks against the All Blacks in 94 years. Now, I just want to point out a 16 point margin isn't actually that big. And so that actually, in some ways, says a lot about New Zealand the fact that this is their biggest loss <laughs> to the Springboks in 94 years. What, what say you? Well, uh, I saw a stat come up on my socials a little while ago that Australia, in 2019, we beat New Zealand by 46 to 10, I think it was. 46 to 20 something, actually. It was 23. Was it? 23. So, yeah, we've beaten them by more. So, that shows how good we are. (laughs) Um, In saying that, though, I think it's still a bit concerning that New Zealand actually haven't really lost that much um, by both too heavy a defeat but anyway uh, yeah it's rugby fixation rev put this out um that the heaviest all blacks defeats uh is by 21 points ever whereas australia has been beaten 53 to 8 england have been beaten 76 nil <laughs> like uh so either, either way either way new zealand are now fifth in the world after a really really strong performance against south africa and having watched this game back The thing that I found incredible about it was the fact that New Zealand really didn't look like they were in this game much from the onset. They weren't able to handle the combination of the power game the South Africans brought combined with the aerial bombardment that they must have known was coming but weren't able to match as well. Combining those two things together, the Springboks just choked, choked the All Blacks, put pressure on, convert into penalties, kick them over, and just kept New Zealand out of the game. I think it was very telling what Sam Kane said in his post-match interview that uh, there a few errors that they led into the game, which is uncharacteristic of the All Blacks. We come to expect them to be nearly perfect when it comes to playing rugby. Uh, but with those errors, they had Malcolm Marks from South Africa that was just getting having an absolute field day at the breakdown and just getting pilfers left, right, and center. So he said even when they had the ball, Malcolm Marks would steal it and just completely slow things down and disrupt the ball like they couldn't do anything. And South Africa clearly had a game plan to do that, and it was Malcolm Marks' 50th, but we've come to expect him to come off the bench in the last few years for South Africa as part of that bomb squad. But really, really key decision to get him starting and have big minutes because he was very pivotal for them. You know, this is the last time they lost three matches in a row since August of 1998. Well, they've actually won. They've won, lost five of their last six. Yeah, that's incredible, isn't it? Five of the last six with, what was it, the opening round of the Island series they won? They won? Yeah, and only just. Um, yeah, so, look, there's 
we're not going to go into the match in too much detail. A couple of points we want to point out is um, we hope all the best for Faf de Klerk with the pretty sickening um, head knock that he took. He flew out of the line on the wing to try and make a um, pretty desperate tackle on Caleb Clark and uh, ended up kind of, in a way, overcommitting and copying Caleb Clark's knee to his temple, yeah. and he was out straight away. So hopefully he recovers uh, with no no symptoms, no issues moving forward. So best best of luck to him. Um, but also we had that really, really shocking collision um, between Bowden Barrett and the rookie Springboks winger, Kurtley Arinzi. That was, that was bad. That was a horrible tackle. Arinzi was knocked out. Uh, Barrett, Barrett proper landed on his head and mm. neck from height with force. I'm so glad that he doesn't seem to have had a significant spinal injury or anything like that. My worry is how long is he going to be out and what impact would this have? Because he's had a really recent um, concussion. series of yeah. issues with concussion. He he had a, took a long time to get back into the game last year. Or was it this year? Uh, uh, I think it was towards the end of last year and then yeah. it sort of carried through into this year. But yeah, he, he's yeah. been battling concussion and I think it's one of those sort of hallmarks of players when they get to the age that Bowden Barrett's sort of getting to is that when they do have injuries or suffer from concussions, it just takes that much longer without the uh, new laws and new sort of set down timeframes that World Rugby have brought into place. Uh, I, I guess in some ways it, it's good that he, it's very good that he came away without any major injury from this because, yeah, he could very well have broken his neck or his back in the way that he landed in this incident. And I think um, a player that I just want to speak to again, like you mentioned Malcolm Marks earlier, he was a behemoth. He was in some ways almost like Thor-like in his immovable strength that he was able to bring <laughs> to the contest. Um, it was amazing the ability that he had to get over the ball and peel for honestly one of the most dominant breakdown performances that I've seen from a modern day hooker in a very, very long time. Uh, have you seen the clip going around recently um, in the last couple of days with Lucanio Am's little bump on um, George Bauer? So, so basically one of the, one of the Kiwi forwards takes the ball into contact um, and Lucanio Am has kind of like slipped off the tackle, oh, gets yeah. up, sees George Bauer going in for the clean out and kind of like bumps into him on his way up to knock him off of course. And it's just his little like act of um, a word that I won't say on the pod. Gamesmanship. Yeah, let's let's call it gamesmanship. Um, <laughs> that just shows he's just aware of these little involvements that you can have that just change the contest. So Malcolm Marks was the guy getting the turnover in that moment. So it was just great to see from Lacanio Am yet again why he's rated as just one of the best players within world rugby at the moment um that not only can he do excellent things in attack and on defense but he's got the the nous the game smarts in which to make little meaningful impacts even with <laughs> tiny little bumps um which look incidental but have much more of a story behind them <laughs> uh, so where to from here for the all blacks mate they've got another game in south africa look i'm thinking it could very easily be two nil against them oh i mean it very well could be and we we did see this there are already decision. There's already calls in New Zealand about the selections that are being made and that certain players are being chosen. Like Richie Mwanga for mine should have started at ten for the last two tests and for the All Blacks and coming off the bench. Uh, maybe there there's a wider plan there that as fans we're not privy to. Maybe New Zealand are doing what Australian rugby needs to be doing and managing his minutes and preparing his load up into the World Cup next year so that he's firing when we get to that 
But at the moment, the All Blacks are really suffering, and I think Richie Mawanga is key in turning things around for them. I personally think he's been playing better Super Rugby this year than Bowden Barrett was. Yep, um, I agree. So for me, for mine, it would be great to see him come in. He will definitely he will, be he starting will at Bowden's. ten. Yeah, yeah. Um, will Jordan, another player, he should be playing fullback. I think him on at fullback just with the space that he gets and the um, the time to sort of choose when to inject himself into the game. He's a player that we've seen for the Crusaders has that ability to break defenses when he can set up and, and interject himself at the right time. I don't think he gets the same timing and space on the wing. And I think that's a, an area that they they currently, in this game particularly, they just weren't making those meters that we come to expect from them. That one break by Bowden Barrett in the 25th minute, I think it was, where he sort of taps the ball back in from going out and then runs it out from in, in his own in-goal area and I think ends up offloading to, to Geordie who then gets tackled sort of somewhere five, 10 meters over halfway. That was really outside of the Caleb Clark try. That was really one of the only line breaks that they made in the game. And that's something that we've come to expect from New Zealand is making these big meters in counter-attack when teams aren't quite ready for it, uh, <clears throat> which we're just at the moment not seeing. And I think getting those players like Richie Mawanga, like Jordan will help turn those. And that's, look, I'm pretty offended actually because I've been spruiking the Will Jordan bandwagon for a pretty long time now. And um, basically just saying that, look, Jordy Barrett does bring some excellent qualities to that 15 role in terms of his boot. He's he's a very strong attacking runner. He doesn't have the same kind of speed and agility that Will Jordan does. But for my mind, Will Jordan is the best, best attacking back in New Zealand rugby, which is saying something for New Zealand rugby. And just put him in at 15, put Mawanga at 10, have the two of them playing off each other because they play together week in, week out of the Crusaders. It's it's really a no-brainer in my mind. And then you put Bowden Barrett onto the bench when he's obviously fit, um, have Bowden Barrett on a bench. And that really, in my mind, brings a lot better balance to the back line. Um, the reality is, though, I was talking about this with some of my mates at work today. You look at the All Blacks lineup and it just doesn't have the same amount of fear factor that they did, say, two, three years ago. Uh, you look at the forward forward pack and you go, George Bauer, Samasoni Takiyaho and Angus Tarval. They, like, they're, good, they're good players, not denying that by any stretch of the imagination, but are they in kind of the top, four, five in the world in their position? Mm. Absolutely not. Like, without a shadow of a doubt, no. Uh, Sam Whitelock, ageing. Um, he's still very, very good, but he's kind of near the end of his career. Than he More white start. than Lock at this point. Hey, well said. Um, Scotty Barrett as well. I've actually... Uh, I just don't think he's as good as other people might seem to believe. Akira Ioane, in my mind, isn't particularly uh, impressive for the All Blacks. Sam Kane... And Adi Sevilla, Adi Sevilla, definitely, he's an absolute, he's an incredible player. Mm -hmm. But you look at that forward pack and you just go, that is not the forward pack of a World Cup winning team Yeah, in my mind. They're not and, world beaters and at the moment, that's what you need to be because South Africa have shown that yeah. they won the World Cup and they've proven since that they, that wasn't a fluke. They've gone... Yeah. Uh, they've backed that up by beating the Lions. They've now backed that up by beating a pretty, a pretty big series against Wales that... Wales push them and guts would say what you will about that second test and the decisions to change 14 of the 23 players named, but um, they beat them pretty convincingly and they're now just beating the All Blacks at home. So 
um, no sh- the, there's no um, denial that they deserve to be number one at the moment. Yep. And look, uh, I just think as well that having somebody, I, I really don't see why Shannon Frizzell was on the bench. Um, I don't think that he his form this season has warranted it and I don't think he's actually that quality a player. Um, I also struggle with some of the off-field stuff, which has still remained unaddressed by New Zealand rugby as well. Oh, that Within won't. I don't think that will, ever, that will ever be. I, that's been like uh, completely ripped off their records. Look, I yeah, think um, we, we probably need the Dale boys with us at the moment to really talk through these New Zealand selections and see who could come in and maybe um, change the tide for them because we're both mm. not really across New Zealand rugby as well as they both are. Uh, the only last thing I will say about this game before we do move into the locker room, and it's become a bit of a, th- a theme, un- unfortunately, over the last few months with rugby and podcasts in general, was talking about referees' performances and whether they were good or bad or had decisions that altered the outcome of games or gave a card or didn't give a card. And we do need to shout out that I think Angus Gardner had an absolute blinder of a game yeah, over the yep. weekend. And and he's just come back from injury. He had that back injury that saw, saw him out of last year. And I think in some, he might've re-flared that up when um, coming through Super Rugby he was on the sideline on the touch for one game and then ended up not finishing it and, didn't see him for a few months, but he's come back now and he's had an absolute blinder. So well done to Angus Gardner and, and good to see um, his, his levels back up there and that he's putting in good performances and the more Australian rugby referees we can see out on the circuit, the better. Yep. Well, mate, why don't we move on into the locker room now and we'll go to the fan and listen to questions. Let's go. All right, time to enter the locker room now and answer some fan questions. The first question comes to us on Twitter or via Twitter from Jock Cudmore, and he asks, with two newly available overseas roster spots, who do we bring into the squad for the foreseeable future beyond the next test? For me, I think that you might well need some uh, specialist seven cover just in case Fraser McRite cops an injury. Maybe it becomes a new... Um, the new witch, the witch position where everybody who fills in gets injured. So I'd be thinking if we, if we have to, um, I'm making a presumption that we have to, uh, maybe Sean McMahon, I think, to provide just back row slash seven specialist cover. Um, I think it depends. If Sean McMahon is going to be available on the end of year tour as well, then yes. If he's not available for the end of year tour, then stuff it. You just keep the team as is and then expect Pete Simon to do a job. So with the spots currently, we've got Corabetti and... Arnold in the team already. So we've only got one spot available at the moment. And when we yep. move on to the Northern Hemisphere Tour later in the year, from the reports, it's been confirmed that the Japanese-based players won't be traveling. So you'd think mm. that we've got three available selections there. At the moment, with that one, do you think we need to bring in a, a specialist seven? We do have Pete Samu as well, who can cover that should there be an injury. Yeah, I'd also just be concerned then about back row cover as a whole if Pete Simo is forced to fill that spot, um, who then becomes the kind of utility back rower on the bench Harry uh, within your match day squad. Yeah, but he's not, and so you just can't. He can play, um, he can play six or eight. Yeah, but who's seven? Pete Simo. So, so what What do you do then if Simo gets injured during a match? You see my point? Like, but you got right we, then. Like, If both of those players get injured, But we yes. don't have right. Right's injured. Oh, jeez. Wright's just undergone case. another surgery a few weeks back. So you see my no, point No, McWright, here is, sorry. Fraser McWright. Like we've got both yeah, of the... Yeah, yeah. But McWright gets injured, if he does, 
yeah. then you have Pete Samu. And so you, you, I'm, all I'm saying is um, if, if we had to bring one player in, then I would consider Sean McMahon just because of the seven cover that he brings as well. Um, but I don't think we actually do. I'm quite happy with the squad at the moment, uh, considering the injuries that we have. Um, I think we just use the players that we have, broaden the experience base here within Australian-based rugby um, and, and just ride it out from here. Great. Okay, cool. Well, we'll see what happens and it will be interesting to see what happens when we get to the Northern Hemisphere too. I'd imagine Will Skelton gets called in and outside of that and the injuries we have at that point, I don't really know who else we bring in from over there, but it will be interesting to see. Um, I think actually looking at the other questions we've got, really some of them were for Ben, which we've we've asked um, or talking about who we would pick for our team. Which we've already spoken which about. Which we've already yep. spoken about. So why don't we move into Facebook, and Why don't you run us through some yeah, Facebook cool. questions? Yeah, um, cool. One quick thing. There are a couple of things that Benny Alexander has directly answered on our Twitter post. So if you want to check those out, go directly to it. Uh, so had a few questions come in from Ed Morden. He asked three. Uh, we're going to answer two of them. So the first one is, when you look at the likes of Quade Cooper and James O'Connor, these guys have got great skill and ability. However, the constant risk factor of them getting injured just because they're getting older in their careers is a significant issue. How do we get around that while enabling younger players like Noah to grow without putting too much pressure on him? I think what we need to do at the moment is start Noah, but have a player like James O'Connor or Quade Cooper on the bench to, to see out the game. Um, I think that gives them the... Like it gives the younger players, whether it's Noah, whether it's Ed Med, whether it's Donaldson, you know, who knows what it is at the time. Um, but I think that gives them the experience of being able to play 50, 45, 50, maybe 60 minutes. And then if things aren't working, we do fall back on James O'Connor or Quade Cooper to come in and fix things in the hope that they're both fit and ready and able to play. Um, but at the same time, you know, it you then have that factor that if they do come on and they're they're playing as a replacement, if they get injured whilst being on, we're in a bit of a hole there. And that's yep. where I think a player like Reese Hodge, who's that utility back, really shines. And I think at the moment in in Australian rugby, we probably undervalued Reese Hodge a little bit. We've talked talked him down. He hasn't played well for the Rebels. And this week again, he's shown that he's our get out of jail free card at the moment. We saw it last year. We've saw it again yep. this year. And I think that's actually one of the things we didn't talk about a huge amount because um, we were talking about some other elements of the game in our chat earlier. How good was Reese Hodge? We need to give him a shout out. He, he's been, uh, he was diabolically poor for the Rebels at the start of the season, did improve as the season progressed um, partially. He, he still wasn't in particularly good form by the end of the Super Rugby season. Uh, but he he was excellent last night having to come in and, and do a job at 10. He had some great, kicking moments he passed the ball he distributed the ball effectively solid in defense he he just did the job that was required of him really really effectively and so he is just the perfect utility back to have in there as a number 23 um and so big really really well done to him and it makes me feel a little bit bad about some of the early criticisms oh actually no i don't feel bad because he he didn't play well for a significant period of time but he was excellent Excellent on Sunday morning. Uh, so question for you, mate. Uh, question number two from Ed Morton. Considering how well Fraser McWright played, do you think we'll see Michael Hooper back in the gold jersey again? I mean, to me, the obvious answer to that question is yes. So why don't we modify that and say uh, again uh, before the Northern Hemisphere tour? I can't really answer that question. Um, 
because if we get the choice, if I think the question needs to be, if Hooper's ready and Hooper's able to play and ready for selection, do we select him or do we let Fraser McWright get selected over the top of him? Uh, uh, it again, it's a hard question. If if Michael Hooper's ready and and able to be picked for the Springboks and the All Blacks, I think I would be picking him over Fraser McWright at the moment, just because of the experience that he has, the leadership that he has. Um, yeah, if if he's not ready, and it might just be that whole thing of he's he needs the rest of the year off, then we'll have to make do with Fraser McWright at seven. Um, yep. Yeah. Yep. Good call. All right, mate. Well, that's it from the Facebook side of things as well. Thank you to everybody for getting in touch. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure being here with you, Mitch. Is there anything else we need to mention before we finish up? I don't think so. No, that's it. I was just racking my brain, but no, that's... No, um, no, we're good, everything. mate. We've covered everything. I think this is record time. So let's stop talking and we'll see if we can actually get a fast pod in. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone. We'll uh, be back next week <laughs> and uh, let us know what you thought. If you've got any suggestions for us or you tell your friends, spread the word. Um, and yeah, we'll be back next week. Same time, same place. Very excited. All right. See you, team. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.